This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Just like you'd set the foundation of a house, well, you're not going to just leave that to chance. You as a founder, you're not going to leave your product to chance. You're going to nurture it. You're going to refine it. You're going to build it. You're going to grow it by your specifications, by your own hand. Same thing with culture, the talent, the organization that you're going to define. You're not going to just let that happen. Well, too many CEOs, too many founders, too many people in general, just let the culture of their organization take on a life of its own. And then you're going through a culture re-architecture. And those are painful for everybody involved. So how do you solve that problem from day one? Well, we're going to bring somebody on who knows how to do it and do it well today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Darren on. Darren is a good friend, known him for a number of years. He is a self-subscribed architect of culture, a culture architect, if you will. Darren has a fantastic voice in the space. He's not just thinking of this as buzzworthy terms. He's not thinking of this as, oh, we should have culture. Darren really thinks of this as the heart and soul, the heartbeat of the company. Who are you bringing in? What do they look like? What do they do? What does it mean for your organization? And what happens when you get this wrong? Too many people think of this as the thing you do down the road. But Darren has a great way of looking at this as the thing you do from day one, that first person you bring on board. And the guy's been doing it long enough and he's got the degrees behind him to say that he knows what he's talking about. So sit back, take a listen as we talk culture, we talk talent, we talk organizations. Today with Darren Martin on the podcast. Darren, tell hey. us about yourself and why the heck are you here? Yeah, just a quick hit background. I, I started Brand Mountain Company for 20 years, you know, with all the, the bumps and bruises that go with that. You know, I've done the lay awake at two in the morning with half the amount of money in the bank that we need to go out for payroll the next day and all of that to, you know, growing it to a successful business. For the last 10, 12 years, I've been uh, doing consulting for all sorts of companies, mom and pops, big fortune 500, 100. And I've been in so many different kind of companies, industries. And after a while of doing that, you start seeing the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, as I say. So I started writing about it, put out four books, got a bunch more on the way. Um, Company of Owners has been just a, a, a huge success. It's been called Best Book Ever Since Good to Great. Put out a hand-drawn, handwritten book called Whiteboard. Uh, that my claim to fame on that one, at least personally, is Leonard Cohen loved it so much, the late great, that uh, he sent me an autographed copy of his poetry book. So it's just a, a bunch of you know ideas. And then Beached Whale is about companies that are sitting on a sand dune. As I say, they missed the memo that the world as we know it is over. And Little Bitty Sink, it's now, we just reprinted it even smaller, so it's 48 pages, and it's it's a quick hit read about leaving the world better than you found it. So these days I write, I speak, uh, do a little bit of consulting just to kind of stay fresh, but that's that's me in a nutshell. Well, perfect. Well, I, uh, I in particular loved, loved Whiteboard, and yeah, anytime you can get 
Leonard Cohen to send you a personalized anything, you, you know, you're on the right path. So, Oh, as a, as an, as a, as an artist or creator to have someone of that caliber. And I I, got to tell you what he wrote in there. It said to Darren, a modern man, feel the words, feel it all with gratitude and appreciation, Leonard Cohen. I'm like, Oh my God, you know, (laughs) it doesn't get much higher praise than that. No, no, that one's, that one's definitely a keeper. (laughs) Listen, so, you know, the, the thing that I like about you and your perspective here and what's going to be interesting for the conversation we're going to have is you, you know, as you, you started off with the, the intro, you know, you were a founder, you've been a founder, you are a founder, you have had those sleepless nights, you've had the, you know, the revelation in a Starbucks, you had the fear, uncertainty and doubt, you've gone through all of those anxious moments, and then those big highs, those big wins. Um, So you've sort of lived this. And, and I think really quick, you marry that with you've had these 1000s of conversations with other founders. And so this is your world, like you're living this on a daily basis. And this is really your brand and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of lessons, obviously, along the way. Um, and I, I, my background, I have a PhD in psychology. I have zero business training other than just out there in the, as they say, school of hard knocks, right? Uh, and I realized for a long time when I was trying to run this, this business that I really had not tapped into the things that it turns out intuitively I knew uh, I was going along just hoping things were going to work. Right. And you know, hope is not a strategy. (laughs) And it wasn't until my back was actually really against the wall that uh, which, which I think can be either completely crippling or, or very uh, you know, creativity producing. And unfortunately in my case, you know, I was, I was in this tough spot and I had to fix things within like 30 days or, you know, game over. And it was amazing to me, Todd, that once I was faced with that, I, that I had known what to do all along. I just had been for whatever reason, dragging my feet on doing it. You know, it's why, and uh, it's why people that come in to, you know, save companies, they walk in, they take a look at it and not always for the better, but in many cases they can look and go, heck, why are you doing this? And, you know, we can call it slash and burn or whatever, but they just know the triggers to pull to write this ship. Um, and I, I, once, once you know that, that's a whole different way to approach business. All right. So what it sounds like we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for podcast number two on the psychology of founders, the psychology of business. And yeah, who, absolutely. I'll do as many podcasts as you want. <laughs> and who and who better to do that than you, PhD in psychology? So, uh, but what you know, one thing I do want to dive into, and and this was the piece that uh, you and I talked a little bit about in prep. All right, so you you've gone out, you speak at events, you talk to again, you have thousands of founders, mom and pops, up to large enterprise, small medium businesses, Fortune one hundreds, Fortune two hundreds. You know, you you've run the gamut, right? You run this range you started to see some commonalities in terms of the founders themselves that they're really not all that different than it. And I'd love to have you share those viewpoints. Yeah. So I, and, and I think people always say, you know, it's lonely at the top and uh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And this is nonsense. It's only lonely at the top because people make it that way. You know, I understand the, the, the sentiment behind that, that, you know, who can you talk to, who do you deal with? But, 
in my experience running, I ran some, um, some executive roundtable boards for a while. I've, I've done some stuff with, you know, companies like Vistage and Tab and not directly, but I've spoken for them and so forth. And I, I love, there's an old Japanese proverb says, no, no, uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. And if you think about the old show, uh, who wants to be a millionaire, the almost for sure, you know, little trick you could pull out that they gave you was to poll the audience. Because when you got 300 people saying, no, it wasn't that way, you know, with 92%, you know, response rate, pretty good chance that that collective wisdom is, is accurate. It's on point. And I see so many leaders isolate themselves. They, they don't uh, have mentors. They don't have coaches. They don't have, they don't surround themselves with other business leaders. It's all this proprietary, you know, and what if I open up and I, there's legalese around that. But uh, you know, if, if someone's trying to do it on their own, I, th I think that's a, a big mistake. Well, and yeah, let's talk about that because I think there's there's at times with the founder this persona, this belief of a person against the world. I'm I'm out here on the edge and I'm doing something unique and different. And and so because of that, because my idea is different, I have to be the the sole leader of this. And it's that lonely at the top thing. So hearing your perspective on finding mentors and finding a community of people around you that you can know and trust and guide you is, is really smart. So how do those founders, like, how do they find those people? What's the, what are the tips, tips, tricks, tactics that you've seen work as you've had these conversations with founders? Well, obviously there are formalized ways. Like I mentioned, some of them, there's all sorts of, you know, things I'm actually thinking of uh, starting back up a, a CEO, C-suite kind of leader, executive roundtable, just because I've, I've found so much value from it. But outside of that, I think it's, you know, first of all, get out there, get, get involved in your industry with other people. Uh, I just did a big keynote for big D uh, financial conference. And there are two kinds of people, those who show up for something like that and open up for something like that. And those are the folks that tend to, you know, have a, a just a plethora of options of people that they can trust their instincts on, you know, spend some time with. Um, and so it's, it's really about getting out there, building, forging some of those relationships. Obviously you got to pay attention to the, you know, um, you, that you're not swapping secrets with your competitors or that sort of thing but there's just too many business savvy people. And there are a lot of people, we're going to be at a meeting later today at uh, the capital factory and capital factory is one of those groups among many that is providing mentors for people. You know, they take people that are going, okay, man, I did my thing. I built my deal. I made my millions now, you know, now what do I do? And who find a lot of, um, benefit just in mentoring entrepreneurs or new business leaders. So there, there are many options out there. The first thing, though, is being open to that and recognizing that I don't know what I don't know. And I'm not going to know what I don't know unless I start letting some new information in. I, I'll give you one more quick one. Um, I do, and this is so cliche, but it is so true. Readers are leaders. I've got, man, if you knew who my direct mentors were, or are, if I gave you a list of them, you'd be blown away. You'd be like, oh, oh my goodness, that person's a mentor. 
yes, not directly, but every time I read a book, you know, from some of the greats, I'm, I'm being, I'm learning and I'm being mentored by that person in some way. Well, that's, that's perfect. I, I love that. So, um, so read the book beyond product. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say, I just, you know, it's a natural pitch. I can't, I can't not bring that up at this point. Go for it. I love it, Todd. I can't <laughs> wait to get my copy. Uh, okay. So, so find mentors. I think your point is find them, go out there, extend yourself. Uh, sometimes go into those uncomfortable places, raise your hand, ask the question, but actively search and find those people. And then your, your last point of, you know, go, go find great works out there, podcasts, books, uh, you know, authors, speaking tours, go find those people, listen to them, hear what they have to say and absorb it and take what you can and, and learn from it. There is no shortage of information. We live in this beautiful age of Google and, you know, uh, digital access. Um, but I, there, there isn't an athlete, a high-performing athlete, musician, you know, uh, people in those kind of ranks alive that doesn't have a coach. I remember uh, hearing that Jack, Jack Nicholas, um, he used to go every year to his original coach and say, teach me how to play golf. Now, he's, he had won five majors, and he's still going to his original golf guy, and the guy showed it, showing him how to hold a golf club, okay, uh, because he just wanted to stay fresh with that. And all of the great athletes get the value of having somebody else, you know, that, that is speaking into their life and teaching and showing and correcting. And because, you know, fish discover water lasts. That's one of my favorite quotes. It's actually in whiteboard, a couple of books, but um, you know, you don't see what you don't see. I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got a phenomenal wife. She gives me input. And I'm like, Whoa, I wouldn't have that. That's, that's information I wouldn't have even ever come up with. So it's out there. You just got to go find it. All right. That's, that's awesome. And it's, uh, it's, it's easy to say, sometimes hard to do, but it's a, it's a fantastic reminder uh, to, to get out of yourself. It's easy to sort of get into the day-to-day minutia. I've got this thing I've got to solve. I've got a billing issue or I've got a customer issue or whatever it is. It's easy to get focused on that and go from one thing to the next and not sort of pull back and see the bigger picture and then give yourself that opportunity to learn and have that unique perspective. If it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, you know, I I think things that are worth doing are worth scheduling. There's some, this podcast right now today is happening because we put a time on the calendar for it to happen. Now there could have been something come up, but but it really didn't matter at that point what, what else was going on. And, you know, it was like, oh, no, this is what I'm doing now. Why do I know that? Because it's, it's, it's on my calendar, right? So we unfortunately schedule a lot of the useless, you know, meeting, 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 and all of that, you know, busy work sort of stuff. But we don't schedule it important stuff. And, and um, those, those are have-to kinds of things. I, I can't say enough about this, Todd, with you, with the, you know, being a new author, et cetera there's some stuff you have to build into that to really make that a success. All right. That's going to be the pull quote right there. If you don't schedule it, doesn't happen. Love it. Love it. Cool. Okay. So, um, so we're going to, we're going to shift just a little bit. Uh, we've, you know, talking about mentors, we're going to shift and talk a little bit about culture and, 
you know, one of the things we talked about in prep and one of the things that we, we talk a lot of in the book and we've had a few other uh, podcasters come on is this idea of being active and controlling is the wrong word, right? But being active and participatory in the company culture that you're creating. And what often happens, and we've said this a few times on the, on the show, you hire, you hire, you hire, and then suddenly you have this mass of people at some critical points and you realize that you've got a culture that's developed. It's hard to change it at that point. And if you don't like it, you're sort of stuck with it unless you want to make some major, you know, overhauls or revisions. And you look at companies like, you know, Uber as an example, trying to go through and do a culture shift at a company that size is really challenging. Um, and there's very few companies that have been able to pull that off. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, again, from mom and pop all the way up, talk to us about building a culture and what that looks like and how, how you think about it and the conversations you're having. And then we'll, we'll go from there. So it's the foundation and it's the, it's the old adage, you know, begin with the end in mind. And it's like starting to build a house before you've done any kind of uh, plans about where's, where the bathroom's going to go and so forth. And then people, in my experience, they just start grabbing things, right? They cobble these cultures together. Oh, well, Google does that. We should do that. Or, you know, XYZ competitor, they're doing this. We should do that. And I'm not saying that it, it, it's, it's not something that doesn't happen organically and kind of happens somewhat on the fly because most great things morph as they go along. But in my experience, cultures are either, they either happen by default or they happen by design. Every company has a culture, right? Some of them just, a lot of them just really suck (laughs) because they haven't been thought out and they, and they're not uh, purposeful around how that steers their business. And, you know, so my title is the culture architect. I've I've earned that by a lot of, you know, engagement and conversation and so forth. But it really is something you architect. It's something you build. It's not something that just sort of naturally happens. Uh, You know, nobody would look at a a well-maintained garden and go, oh, isn't that cool? That just sort of happened, right? Right. Um, and, And so if leaders aren't, thinking about that from the day they start their business, well, then now's a good day to start thinking about it. But it's definitely something that you need to be not only mindful about, it needs to be a priority. Gerstner said this when he went to IBM. He said, look, when I got there, I knew that culture was an important part of the game, along with strategy, names, a bunch of other stuff. He said, halfway through the turnaround at IBM, I realized I was wrong. Culture is not a part of the game. He said, it is the game. If you don't change the culture, you don't change the company. And there's countless examples, you know, uh, Alan Mulally with Ford, et cetera, companies that have made a shift either for the, the better or for the worse. And it basically boils down to leadership and culture. Okay. So let's, let's take that idea and start putting it into some practical sense. Um, I'm a founder. I'm listening to this. I'm again, trying to make payroll and I've got sleepless nights and I'm just trying to get my first product launch and you know, everything in between. I'm struggling with these tactics, these things that are in front of me. Culture sounds great and I want to have a good culture, but what is that? What does that mean? How do I go about it? What does that look like? How can I be that gardener or that architect uh, as I'm, as I'm going in and building it and we'd love to hear your thoughts here. So it's not just about putting some fancy words on a page because uh, we see that over and over again. 
the bigger the gap, by the way, between the stated culture, what we say we do, and the hidden culture, what we actually do, the more dysfunctional the company. Um, so it's really more about thinking and, and thinking out loud with, you've got one other person that's a part of your company, do it with them. It's not something you, you know, you got 10 other people, do it with them. Uh, it requires some conversations. What do we want to, you know, what helps us be successful as a company? What do we want it to feel like uh, when you come to work on a Monday morning and when you leave on a Friday? Um, you know, what, what is kind of the air we breathe when we're here? How do we treat each other? How do we treat our customers? Um, had an experience recently where uh, great business, but I saw them be very dismissive to someone that was just delivering product for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I, I just came up with this adage that, that I think is so true. How you treat anybody is the way you treat everybody because it's a mindset, you know? Um, uh, so I, I think it's really, uh, it, people want to make it harder than it is it, you know, they make it real gobbledygooky, <laughs> but if, if you get down to, you know, relationships, oh yeah, well, Tuesday night is date night, or we love going, you know, taking off early and going to the movies on Friday or whatever the case may be. Uh, here's how we work. You know, here's how we talk to each other. Here's what, where we get the best results from. It's really about starting to piece that stuff together. And then codifying it into something that that makes sense. So you've got people like Netflix, their big culture deck, uh, which is somewhat fluid, but some of their cores. So, for example, we don't hire super intelligent jerks. Okay, well, that kind of tells us what to do, right? Right. It tells us what to do in the hiring path. I don't care how smart this person is; they're not they're not getting hired. So it's it's really about thinking about what you want that company to look like and make sure that it's scalable and something that, you know, ask yourself some questions. I know you're asking for practical things. Hey, we're at 10 people now. When we get to a hundred, can we continue to do these things? When we get to be a thousand, can we continue to do? And whatever you build in there, you want it to be something that not only is part of the roadmap of getting there, but it's also sustainable when you get there. Well, there's, you know, there's a few companies that have had that example of, uh, Success factors had a no assholes policy. Uh, the collective that I'm with now is same thing. You know, making sure you're working with people that you like and, and admire and are inspired by. Um, so I've seen a few of those examples where it, they're they're not putting up with the toxic behavior because that person is you know brilliant but damaged. And so it's interesting to see that happen. But I also see a lot of companies that say, "But I need this person. They're amazing at what they do." They're toxic to everyone around them, and I'll deal with that later because I need the output from them. And it, sure. I think it's a short, it's a short-sighted approach. Yeah, it is there, and but there, there are always these little anomalies, right? These outliers. Um, history shows that you know, well, first of all, do people do more things for people they like or people they don't like? And I think the you know, consensus answer is obviously people they like. But you get these weird outliers like Steve Jobs. I mean, from what I understand about Jobs, who built a phenomenal company. I mean, you, you, you can't argue with that. Uh, but he could be like a tyrant from what I understand. Or, uh, you know, down through history, um, Standard Oil uh, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. Or yeah. I, if you've seen the movie recently about uh, uh, it Getty. Was Getty, right? Yeah. 
And, and what happens is, so you get those anomalies and those exceptions and people go, well, that's, that's good, strong leadership. I wonder how handicapped each of those characters were, that they were successful in spite of themselves, right? Um, so it is about having a certain level of tenacity and so forth. But, you know, the flip side of not hiring super intelligent jerks is, uh, we don't hire people uh, unless you're just really, really just nice. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a fan of nice, by the way. That's uh, so why I like you so much, Todd. You're just a uh. great guy. <laughs> but there's more elements than that. It, you can't just have that, right? Yeah. There's There's got to be that ability to tussle it up a little bit. As I talk about kind of, you know, uh, structural conflict, intellectual conflict, not, not personal. Um, so. Well, and there was a, um, there was a, I haven't had to explain this in a while, so I may fumble through it, but there was a, a great four by four, kind of a quadrant that's been attributed to Jack Welsh. I don't know if it is or not, but we'll just go with it and say that it was. But this idea of you, you look at people on either a, ability to get along or not get along, right? Nice or asshole, if you want to classify it that way. And then performance, you know, high performer, low performer. And he says, everybody starts in the middle at the cross section because they have no history, no performance, and we don't know whether they're good or bad. We've assessed it, but everyone starts at zero and they go to one of those four quadrants. He said, look, if they're really nice and they're high performers, those are obviously keepers. If they're really nice and they're low performers, well, you know, we've, we've got to make the tough decision to get rid of those people because they're not performing, even though we like them. He said the one that's actually the toughest, he says, it's really easy. They're, they're assholes and they're poor performers. Those are easy to get rid of. It's the high performer, toxic asshole, no, no fit in the culture that those are the ones that most organizations struggle with. And they're the ones you have to get rid of at the onset. And his reasoning was not it was culture, yes, but it was also those people are going to abandon you in your time of need. That yeah. that person, when you really, when it's crunch time, when you've got to buckle down and you want people to work for 24 hours straight to go get something to deadline, they're the ones that are going, nah, I'm too important, I'm bigger than this, or they just quit. Yeah, and it's so glaring, particularly, for example, on sports teams, right? But it happens in companies as well. And I used to have a professor who said, how much cow dung does it take to spoil a bowl of ice cream? Um, yeah, let that sink in. Uh, <laughs> that's and then I, and boy, then I'll ask. Visual, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when I speak, I, uh, I'll ask, I, you know, I'll say that and I say, well, how many poisonous employees does it take to spoil a company? And invariably I look out across the audience and everybody's only holding up one finger. Like it only takes one, right? Yeah. Uh, you've seen whole f sports franchises just not win championships go down the two because there's one bad egg just in the locker room that just is, you know, wreaking havoc. It's not worth it. Um, and the short term gains that you get out of there are not worth the, sh the, the long term losses. Perfect. All right. Um, so Darren, this 20, 25 minutes goes by really, really fast. We're going to wrap up here in a second. I have a feeling knowing you, you and I could sit down and we could extend this and make it a two hour coffee talk. Um, 
and we would certainly enjoy if we might lose some people along the way. So we're going to keep it to our original 20, 25 minutes. Uh, I'm going to recap a couple of things that we talked about because I thought they were so salient and I want to give you an opportunity to close. So think of the amazing thing you want to close with while I'm talking. Uh, first thing was, you know, really this idea of you've lived this, walked it, and now you're going out and you're sort of the ambassador founder, right? You, you've gone out and you've talked to people and you're talking to these companies and your insights and perspectives on the commonality and that commonality leading toward you need, want, should have mentors, advisors, and people around you. And the best way to do that is to put yourself out there, start finding opportunities to meet those people, uh, access those people, and realize that it doesn't have to be so lonely at the top. And then as we switched, pivoted, and had this conversation on culture, your notions and ideas in particular around, you know, finding the right kind of talent, thinking about this as an architect or a gardener, whichever your analogy best fits, and really taking a, a more active role in building the culture and then understanding what those few bad apples, those weeds um, can start to do to the culture of your company. And is it really worth it? Is the, you know, the juice worth the squeeze? Is it worth having them in the organization or not? So lots of great points and your perspectives are so spot on. So Darren, let's go with last couple of thoughts. Um, anything you want to close out with, uh, even unrelated, but, you know, helping founders to be founders. And then I want to talk a little bit about where they can find you. Excellent. So, uh, we have a 29% average engagement rate at a typical U S company, large and small. Wow. And then people ask me, you know, well, how do I get my people engaged? It's the wrong question. Why is our company not engaging people, right? When something works, the engagement follows. It is the outcome. It is not the, the, the start. And so we need to just sit up and recognize what the reality is, is we don't, we don't have a, a people engagement problem. We have a, we have an, we have a company problem. We have company culture problems that we've, you know, people are bored to tears going to work or they're frustrated going to work. And Hey, you want to crush it out of the ballpark, no matter what industry in you're in create something people want to be a part of. And that's a deal changer and, and, and watch the market uh, sort of unfold on its own. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's, that's so spot on. Again, I think this is the second or third podcast we're going to bring you back for just to talk on that one. Cause that's, that's a real struggle for organizations. And I loved your thoughts on flipping that on its head. That's fantastic. Love it. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm actually working on my follow-up to a company of owners. It's called the Architecting Company of Owners. And we're really getting into some of those ideas, you know, that if companies would act more like uh, secret societies and uh, fraternities and, you know, whatever, long-lasting organizations where it means something to be a part of it, then I don't think we'd have a lot of the problems we're having. Well, perfect. So, Darren, if uh, if people were inspired and engaged and want to find you, uh, where do they find your books? Where do they find you online? How do they get a hold of you? Well, whether they were inspired or not, they still <laughs> find me at the same place. <laughs> I still want you to come find me, even if you tell me I was very uninspired. Uh, it's uh, the easiest is Darren D A R E N Martin dot com D A R E N M A R T I N. Actually, if you just Google Darren Martin, not to sound obnoxious, but thank thank goodness my parents always spelled my name with one R and an E. There you so, go. 
pretty easy to find. Love for people to check out the books, obviously, Amazon, your bookstore choice. Uh, if you're going to start, start with the company of owners, but the others are all great in their own right. And then, uh, man, I want to speak. I want to speak a lot. I've spoken to all kinds of industries, large and small groups. You know, um, I went to St. Martin's last year to do a 40 minute talk for a 17 member, the founder of his executive team. And then I've spoken to just recently in Houston, 700 people. So sign me up. The industry doesn't matter because I'm talking about the people side of business. And that is the one area that every company has in common. Well, uh, having been an audience member and having been a person who's brought you into companies to go do this, I will attest uh, how great you do at moderating and managing a day as well as speaking, presenting, doing short presentations and doing, you know, two or three day long workshops. Uh, it's, it's great to have you in the room because you bring all this great energy and this great insight and this great perspective. And, uh, you add more than just the agenda. You add this point of view that I think is so again, infectious and inspirational. So, uh, check him out, check out his website, uh, book him for your next event. And, uh, Darren, thank you for hopping on the call today. It's been really, really fun. As always, I have a great time talking with you and I loved your insights and perspectives and I hope our audience did as well. Mutual Todd. I'm looking forward to seeing your book, brother. So All right. full on support. It's going to be awesome. So thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening. Really excited to have Darren on. He was so great. I love this quote from him on, you know, the gap about the stated culture, what we say and do and the hidden culture, and then what we actually do. Well, and that gives a sense of the more dysfunction of the company. And that's so true. We hear these storied examples of organizations that talk a good game and underneath they're rotten to the core. And I think it's reflective of the type of talent of people that stay and the people that jettison and leave as quickly as possible. So Darren has really got his fingers on the pulse of what establishes a great culture, how to do it, how to do it from day one so you don't have to go through that re-architecture, but also so that you're getting the right people in place, not just the right button seat for that role. You're getting the right people to help create the kind of company you want. Darren has a number of books, but I'm going to call out two in particular that I love. First one is A Company of Owners. The second one is also one of the late, great Leonard Cohen's favorite books. That's Whiteboard, Business Models That Inspire Action. If you want to follow Darren, and I suggest you do, well, you can do so on the usual suspects, your Twitter, your Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find him at Darren Martin, D-A-R-E-N, and that's just one R, M-A-R-T-I-N. You can also find him on DarrenMartin.com. That's D-A-R-E-N-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. These books are all available, also available on Amazon. Well, for us, we're in week 12 now and the third week of our talent series. We've got five or six more to go on this particular topic. If you've liked what you've been listening to so, to so far, easier said than done, then go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast. We've got another year's worth of content to come. We promise that uh, you'll get great content from us. All we need you to do is hit that little subscribe button. It's easy, it's free, it doesn't cost you anything, and it means everything to us. So click on subscribe and get a new podcast from us every week, Monday morning at 7 a.m. on the dot. It's mindless, you don't even have to think about it. We'll give you great content right to your door. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow us, please do so at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. And until next week, have a great day. You've been listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. 
For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.